I'm Rod Little and you're listening to Global Disruptors, uncovering the world's most successful entrepreneurs. This is Disrupt Radio Australia. Wilmot Reed Hastings Jr., pampered scion of the bluest of blue-chip Boston families, has probably changed your world. Quite possibly for the better, for Reed Hastings, as he is known to his pals, is the power behind the international phenomenon that is Netflix, and you may well be one of his 209 million subscribers. Or maybe once that pandemic had ebbed, you cancelled your subscription. Better check your direct debits. I had never met a more amazing leader than Reed. He works with great speed. Reed's brain is very uh, mathematical, it's analytical, and so in his own brain, he can throw away things and concentrate on the ones that he believes in, for example, in a problem-solving scenario. It's really kind of crazy how quickly it all snowballed to where DVD part of it completely disappeared. And now it's just like we're watching TV through the internet. A lot of people told me that he had emotional intelligence of zero and he, you know, would sometimes say things unthinkingly that were rather insensitive. And he was always so knowledgeable. He was knowledgeable about his own company. He was knowledgeable about the entire entertainment vertical. He had a very good idea of what Netflix should be. And I still consider his leadership to have been one of the formative experiences of my life to witness the decisions that he made and the leadership that he embodied you know, during that time, the kinds of decisions he was making. For a company that was by no means certain to emerge the victor in what was then still an all-out bloody battle with Blockbuster, we were very much the upstart and he was making bold, brash decisions in the context of that landscape. Bottom line, Reed let me go. He, he took me out to the parking lot and of course I could tell what was happening. You know, it was really painful. You know, I loved him and I loved the company and I loved what I had done. But I realized he was right. You know, my time had come and gone. Back in the last millennium, Netflix started out by renting and selling something called DVDs by post. You may remember them. At the time, we quite liked them. Better quality than VHS videos, and there was no tape to get mangled. However, unlike its now-defunct rival Blockbuster Video, Netflix embraced the internet age and grew into a multinational streaming service that has taken on and beaten nearly all the traditional leaders in global broadcasting. Its in-house TV series and movies have drawn big audiences and critical acclaim. It's also branching out into gaming. Netflix is available in more than 190 countries, though not of course in North Korea, or Syria, China and Iran, where it's banned. And the company's 2022 revenue was just over 31 billion US dollars. So who is this Reed Hastings? And how did he build a media subscription and technology business that has changed both how we watch and what we watch?
Reed is not a flash in a pan CEO. He's built more than one company. They were all successful. And as far as Netflix is concerned, he always kind of made the right moves to see it down the line, to being something that we would never even have thought of when he walked into that office and said, what are we going to do? So I think that capability that he has had to make something even bigger than we would have ever imagined. That's Christina Kish. She was vice president of merchandising at the launch of Netflix in 1997 and one of the co-founders of the company. The first content manager at Netflix was Kate O'Neill. She helped design the canny software that tells you what you should watch next. We're in, you know, 2000 or so, and Blockbuster is still very much the dominant player in the space. Netflix is still very much a, a small upstart that some people have heard of, but by no means the household name that it has become. And it was not a given that we were going to survive this battle with Blockbuster. And yet at that time, Reed was making R&D investments. You know, he had made the decision, he had led the decision to take some R&D money and invest it into what was then the predecessor to streaming as we know it, set-top boxes is what we were calling them, and try to figure out what that future looked like. Remember that the first set-top box that really hit the mainstream market, you know, Roku, doesn't hit until about 2006. And then there isn't a dedicated streaming plan on Netflix until about 2007. So these decisions in 2000 to divert money into R&D toward this set of programs and products is very much could be seen as a distraction from money needed for survival at that moment. But I consider that to be a really great visionary example of how to be focused on the battle that's right in front of you, as well as, you know, the vision for the battles that are going to be needed. I mean, it's really the better part of a decade ahead of you. So a long-term visionary, Kate O'Neill says of Reed Hastings. More on DVDs, the move to streaming and the battle with Blockbuster to come. Reed Hastings was born in Massachusetts in October 1960. His father, Wilmot, was an attorney who worked for Richard Nixon, and his mother, Joan Amory Loomis, was a Boston debutante from a very well-to-do family. However, she disliked the idea of high society, a disposition she urged upon her kids. Reed Hastings comes from a seriously distinguished family. His grandfather, Alfred Lee Loomis, was a leading military scientist who invented the Aberdeen chronograph, a device for measuring the velocity of projectiles as well as leading advancements in radar. Prior to the world of business, which would make him a billionaire, Reed studied maths at Maine's Bowdoin College. His belief in service saw him start training in the US Marines, but then he joined the Peace Corps, an American volunteer program that saw him teach maths in Swaziland. He then completed a master's in computer science at Stanford. Hastings started his career making debugging software for a company called Adaptive Technology. He then started his first business, Pure Software. Later, the company was sold for $750 million, and from that sale came the seed money, human resources and opportunities that led to the creation of Netflix. Christina Kish was there at the company's birth. We were not a bunch of out-of-school 20-somethings. We had all basically cut our teeth on other businesses. 
And so the founding team had experience. We weren't gray hairs or anything like that, but we were definitely experienced. We were able to build a culture very quickly because we knew, having been in other ones, what we wanted that culture to consist of. Reed Hastings would carpool with Mark Randolph, a co-founder and early CEO of Netflix. They discussed future business ideas together each day as they travelled from their homes in California's Santa Cruz to their office in Silicon Valley. Understanding what people want to watch and helping them watch it is at the core of the Netflix ethos. So is understanding the importance of making a great team. Netflix was about building around a core group of skilled and experienced people. But how did this initial group get together? The founding team was formed when Mark Randolph asked his former colleague Christina Kish to join him working at Reed's Pure Atria. Mark was VP of Corporate Marketing and Reed Hastings was the CEO. Here's Christina on her early days working with Reed. He's extremely bright, very direct with questions, is very affable. I mean, he's very nice when you meet him. And he's always very direct with what his intentions are. And I was there for five days. And on the sixth day, Mark called me and said, the company's been sold. They were competitors, so it had to go through Department of Justice. So that was going to take six months. So I was tied to the company for six months without really having a job. And one day, Reed walked by my office and called me into Mark's office, sat both of us down and said, I want to be your angel. I'm going to give you $2 million. Tell me what you want to do with it. What company do you want to start? And that's how Netflix started. Mark and I had a conversation about how we knew it was going to be an e-commerce business. So, of course, you're going to look at entertainment, banking, um, pornography. <laughs> there's, you know, there's all kinds of things that were huge at the time. So we dove into the entertainment venue, and that's when we started like looking at Blockbuster, which was one of the bigger players in entertainment. And we stumbled across the fact that there's going to be a format change in video rental. And it was going to go from VHS to something else. More than likely, it was going to be DVD. That's when we started running numbers of, you know, how would this work? Could we do it via mail? Reed was ready, you know, to be the angel. We were ready to set up offices. We just needed to get out of our jobs that we were already working for Reed on. Imagine being offered $2 million to start a business. What would you set up? Netflix, The Epic Battle for America's Eyeballs, is the title of a book written by former Reuters reporter Gina Keating. She's been interviewing Reed Hastings since the start of the 21st century. Reed was, I mean, extremely important to the development of Netflix. After the sale of the business went through, Reed went off to start an education foundation and get his master's in education. And Mark settled down with the day-to-day operations, trying to figure out exactly what this company was going to be and how it was going to operate. So for about two years, Reed was kind of in and out, trying to you know help them when they needed some advice or money or whatever, introductions to venture capitalists. You know, he was there for all of those important points. And they were doing something nobody had ever done before, which is, try to create an actual store online and to create a rental model and a subscription model online. And Reed came back in 
1999, when they were having trouble figuring out how to retain customers. And he came in and his mathematic genius was very important at that point because he was able to work out a lot of the kinks in the mailing system and also the matching system that they use, which was critical to getting people to come back. The Netflix startup team had the ideas and tech know-how, but they needed knowledge of how the film and entertainment industry actually operated. The man Reed Hastings went to was the future president of video streaming company Redbox, Mitch Lowe. In the 1990s, Mitch had owned a Californian chain of video rental stores with his brother, but he was also a very well-connected trade association president and ran a side project that helped video rental stores, remember those, build an internet presence that showed their inventory. This meant you could start to think about recommending videos to customers, almost like Netflix before Netflix, and this was in 1997, when few people even knew how to build a website. Mitch Lowe was a co-founding executive and VP of Business Development and Strategic Alliances at Netflix. The customers at our video stores were some of the top tech people and even many, many successful actors and actresses. So I had this um, exposure to really interesting people with great ideas. So I got exposed to, you know, reams and reams of data and analytics about the industry and the trends. But even better, I worked behind the counter of my stores, you know, was able to connect the dots between real consumers and the data trends. Mitch started meeting with Reed Hastings after co-founder Mark Randolph approached Mitch's small desk at an entertainment industry event in Las Vegas. They would ask me all these questions. Do you think a DVD would break in the mail? Uh, do you think people would actually order online? And at the time, too, uh, my brother was mostly managing this. It was a home delivery service of VHS cassettes where he would install a mailbox on people's doors and they would order by phone. And so, yeah, I could see that they were taking it to the next level. But, you know, they were both super smart and super focused on what they wanted to accomplish, even though, you know, what we all wanted to accomplish early on was completely different from what Netflix became. On a hot summer day in 1997, Mark Randolph and Reed Hastings put their ideas for postal delivery DVDs to the test. The legend has it that they walked into Logos Books and Records in Santa Cruz, bought a CD of Patsy Cline's greatest hits, and mailed it to Reed's house a few blocks across town. When the CD arrived intact, they knew they had found their ticket to e-commerce glory. After having had the initial name Kibble, Netflix was registered on August 29, 1997. Reed Hastings became chairman with 70% ownership. Eight months later, the Netflix website launched. Mark ordered the movie Casino as a test, and it worked. Within 15 minutes, the website had crashed as other orders started coming in. At the end of that first day, they had received 137 orders. Netflix initially both sold and rented its DVDs, posting them to homes in what became iconic red envelopes. The DVDs would arrive in a thin package with a postage paid return sleeve inside, and Netflix covered all the costs. 
Daniel Smith-Rousey, PhD, is an assistant professor at St. Mary's College, California, and the editor of the book, The Netflix Effect, Technology and Entertainment in the 21st Century. Reed Hastings and his colleagues were not the first people to imagine that people would want to rent movies the same way that you could, like, get a pizza delivered. The risk that Reed Hastings took was that DVDs really would be the future. In the late 90s, that was not 100% clear. At the time, the DVDs were like a third upstart medium, like a younger cousin or something. The VHS tapes by far dominated the market in, say, 1997. I mean, what was good about a DVD was it was smaller. It was the size of a CD. So if we want to say that Reed Hastings was smart, in a way, it was smart of him to sort of double down on, okay, DVDs will be the future. And they were for quite a while, for long enough to make Netflix into a household name. After two years, Reed took over as CEO from Mark Randolph. Journalist Gina Keating is the author of Netflix, the epic battle for America's eyeballs. Mark Randolph, who was as much of a genius as Reed is, Reed came back in in 1999 and... There was some talk about maybe selling the company to Amazon. They had, over the years, would have many offers from Amazon either to go into business together or Amazon would buy Netflix. It never came to anything, but it's something that they considered. So at this time, they were having some problems with financing. It was, you know, the dot-com bust. And Reed went around with Mark literally to the venture capitalists who he'd worked with before at Puritria and managed to keep Netflix afloat during all that. And so at that point, the venture capitalists felt more comfortable with him running the company because they knew him. He'd already run Puritria. So he became co-CEO. And then eventually Mark was demoted to president. So what was Reed Hastings like to work with as a CEO? Co-founder Christina Kish worked closely with him. It wasn't until Reed came in and decided to do a split box CEO between he and Mark that I had more um, one-on-one interactions with him where he definitely listens to ideas. He, though... As a CEO, he is the one that prioritizes things. And, you know, what Reed did when he came on board is the company was at a point in time where it needed specialists. The company needed money. It needed people who specialized in certain areas. And that is what they did. And so that was the transition between Mark to Reed was really bringing on a different type of talent. Mitch Lowe had been a specialist in the very early Netflix founding team. He later found even more success with MoviePass, McDonald's and Redbox. Well, I had never met a more amazing leader than Reed. As a leader, you know, he gave everybody this great sense of confidence that decisions were going to be made in a very thoughtful, valid way. I think the most interesting kind of feature that I think really makes Reed so successful is his focus on what's next. I remember he would tell me, and I'm sure he told other people, that at Netflix, we should only do that one thing we can do better than anyone else. He said that when we decided to not stay as a 
an a la carte business or a sales business, but to focus solely on subscription, because that was a big debate. You know, we were generating a lot of revenue, not profitable, but revenue off of sales and a la carte rentals. There's another example of where he decided, you know, even though we were generating, we'd built a sales department, they were getting lots of interest and deals to advertise on our envelope. One time it delayed a shipment and he said, listen, our one thing we got to do is deliver fast. So he closed down the sales department because it was a distraction. I've never met anybody who knew exactly what to do next. You know, that kind of sequencing that becomes so important in startups. I left in um, the early part of 2003. Bottom line, uh, Reed let me go. Uh, he, he took me out to the parking lot. And of course, I could tell what was happening. Uh, you know, Mark had left a few months before. And a couple of the projects Mark and I were running, one of them, namely Netflix Express, which was to put kiosks in grocery stores. And analysts got wind of it and the stock started cratering. And there was talk around the company that it was because analysts thought we were going backwards to the physical world. And so Reed had me shut that project down. Um, and I just felt, you know, I, I just, you know, I knew what he was going to say. He basically said, now that we're a public company, all the things that you've been trying, we've got to get more organized and buy the book and all this stuff. You know, it was really painful. I loved him and I loved the company and I loved what I had done, but I realized he was right. You know, my time had come and gone. That was Mitch Lowe on the people skills of Netflix founder Reed Hastings. I'm Rod Liddell. You're listening to Global Disruptors on Disrupt Radio Australia. Stay tuned as we uncover more about the blockbuster life and career of Reed Hastings. Disrupt Radio. On Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You have a theory about accelerator programs. Yes, we've been through, well, we've mentored and coached in a few accelerator programs. Just a few. Over the years. <laughs> Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, the advisory board is here to lend a helping hand. Like, what are the blind spots that we have? What are the things that you just don't know. Megan Flamer and Alan Jones have helped thousands of founders, CEOs and organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. How are the startup ecosystems different around the world? The advisory board. If they're a casual employee, their minimum entitlements will be different to somebody that's permanent, for example. Live on DAB+. I have to be prepared to, to take constructive criticism and take it on board and listen to it and you know incorporate it. Online and on demand at Disrupt.radio. Disrupt Radio. Bill Gates, Jack Maher and Travis Kalanick are some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. What were they like growing up? What is it like to work with them? And what are their secrets? I'm Rod Little, and Global Disruptors is the new podcast that charts the rise of the world's most successful business people. Hear it now at Disrupt Radio. 
If we want to say that Reed Hastings was smart, in a way it was smart of him to sort of double down on, okay, DVDs will be the future. And they were for quite a while, for long enough to make Netflix into a household name. He totally transformed the way that we watch television now. Everything I did that worked was all because of Reed. It was all things he taught me, you know, how to hire right, get the right people on the bus, get them focused, hold them accountable. Always really open and transparent about their books and about what they were going to do. They kind of didn't play the Wall Street games, hedging to investors what they were going to actually do. They came out and said it. And they were punished quite a lot for that, but I thought Reed Hastings was extremely brave to talk about the company the way that he did, and he was rewarded for it. Reed Hastings launched Netflix as a $2 million angel investor, overseeing the founding team's work and checking in on their progress from a distance while he studied education. By 1999, Reed Hastings was at the helm as CEO, using clarity of focus, teamwork, and a particular work ethos. Kate O'Neill was the first content manager at Netflix. It's very much this ability to understand what matters now and what matters in the future, what will matter in the future. I've never seen an organization so well aligned around one central metric that they wanted to improve, which at the time was the number of users, user growth. And then every month, the company rented out the Los Gatos Theater, movie theater, and held our company meeting in that, it was, you know, during the day, so nobody was going to the theater anyway at that time. Every member of the team, every employee sat in the movie theater and we actually had popcorn and soda and sat through every department presenting its numbers that were in support of that one central metric. And we all see with full accountability and transparency every month how we're progressing in each one of these departments. And it's, you know, made a little more enjoyable to get through because you're sitting in a fun, cool Rococo theater and eating popcorn and drinking soda. So it was a brilliant example of how to get all the resources in a company focused in the right areas, get them understanding how their contribution plays into the larger story. The concept behind the Netflix subscription model was Reed Hastings' gym membership. Pay a monthly fee and watch as many DVDs as you want, with a real focus on the customer. Netflix looked at this like, hey, there are so many cool movies that people probably have never seen, especially in middle U.S., because they don't have access to them. A lot of independent movies, um, international movies. We want people to see these things, and we want to help the little filmmakers reach viewers. So it was a pretty altruistic business model at first. They did it because they loved movies, they loved consumers, they loved watching how consumers would react to different iterations of their user interface. They were fascinated by people. And the major media companies, in my opinion, were not. They basically understood what their model was and they wanted to keep it the way that it was forever. That's journalist Gina Keating, the author of Netflix, the epic battle for America's eyeballs, a David and Goliath battle with the market leader. Blockbuster was the largest video rental chain in the United States. It was international. They had a huge monopoly 
on video rental. Blockbuster was able to cut revenue sharing agreements with the studios that the studios really hated, but they could not give up that revenue. So Blockbuster kind of walked through the rental portion of the entertainment world with a real swagger. And when Netflix came along, they did not understand at all why anybody would want to go online, select a movie, and then wait for it to be delivered, and then have to send it back. But what Blockbuster didn't understand was how much people absolutely hated the fact that Blockbuster was constantly dunning them with late fees. They were really unpopular, and they underestimated by a large margin, how bad that made them look to consumers. Again, it comes down to the consumers. And Netflix picked up on this right away. When they were at first trying to compete against Blockbuster, they literally went to a Blockbuster store, walked around and tried to figure out, how do we recreate this online? And they actually did that in a pretty brilliant way. But the other thing they noticed is that people were really angry about the customer service and the prices and the availability. There was never enough first-run movies at Blockbuster. Only one in five times when you went into Blockbuster did you actually get the movie that you came for. So it was a very flawed model, and it was ripe for the picking. And Netflix did an excellent job of discerning that and taking advantage of it. Blockbuster did eventually launch an online DVD rental platform of their own kind and abandoned their late fees. But Kate O'Neill saw Reed Hastings' reaction. (laughs) I think I remember the news media being all over this, and I even remember them calling it a Netflix killer. And I could not have been more relieved to see how Reed's reaction to this was. And he just laughed it off. He said, this is totally hilarious. Like, if Blockbuster thinks that this is the way people want to consume movies. More power to them. Uh, If people want to drive to Blockbuster every single day to rent movies, be my guest. But, you know, we're working very hard on making sure that there's a better experience than all that. And it was it was really an eye opening experience to see, you know, something that truly could have had someone shaking in their boots to to see their biggest competitor come out with a threat to the very program that was making Netflix known and loved to many of its customers at that point. But he saw the flaws in it right away and just chose to be confident in the face of it. But it wasn't just Reed laughing. He got laughed at too. Netflix was struggling at first, and Reed Hastings says he offered to sell Netflix to Blockbuster for 50 million US dollars. During the meeting, Blockbuster CEO John Antioco reportedly turned him down and laughed at Reed and the Netflix team. Antioco says this never happened. Daniel Smith Rousey, PhD, is editor of the book The Netflix Effect Technology and Entertainment in the 21st Century. One thing that Hastings saw, and I I always think this is an impressive thing about Netflix, is that those red envelopes, when they would arrive at your door in 2003, 2004, 2005, didn't have ads in them. They were an ad-free space for a long, long time. And I think that was smart because it saturated the market. By 06, 07, everybody knew what Netflix was. It was the DVD by mail service that everybody knew about. And it didn't seem 
annoying in some way. It still it, it maintained a certain kind of credibility, if you will, because it wasn't just giving you ads for other movies, you know. So that was good that he did that. And then I think that impressed Wall Street. So they had all this working capital, even when the market fell out in 08. In 2007, Netflix moved into streaming video content online. And by 2010, it had a 20% market share of North American viewing traffic. It was signing deals with names like Sony, Paramount and Disney, at the same time as Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy, having incurred nearly $1 billion in losses. Netflix now has around 231 million paid subscribers and is available in 190 countries. So how was Reed Hastings able to get Netflix to such scale? And that's a great example of his prowess as a CEO. They had a lot of real world and online hurdles to get over with that. And one of the biggest ones was the banking arrangements that they had to make all over the world. And also relationships that they had to form with the filmmaking and television production communities in all those different countries. So really early when they could not get content, really DVDs from the DVD suppliers, they decided to kind of go a different way so that they could afford to buy as much content as possible. And they're differentiating quality from the other home entertainment companies was that they vowed that they would have every single DVD ever made. And this required them to get a lot of stuff that was not available at Blockbuster. And that included independent movies. And at the time, the independent film community was just starting to grow. And so as the years went on, these filmmakers from all over the world kind of matured into positions of power in the entertainment industry. So as Netflix prepared to go international, they already had those contacts in those communities and they were signing deals with those people that they'd already worked with. And then they had to work out the banking situation so that they could take credit cards in all these different countries. They had to make sure that there was enough broadband penetration for Netflix to even work. And Reed Hastings really can take credit for sort of an organic build of Netflix. Gina Keating has been following Reed Hastings' career since 2004, when she was a Reuters entertainment correspondent. They had such a different culture and a different take on media distribution than the legacy media companies. And I thought Netflix had a great and different idea about how to interact with consumers. They seemed to understand immediately that the internet was something that was going to expand people's access to information, and they wanted to be at the center of that. They wanted people to have access to things that they'd never seen. They wanted them to have experiences that they may never have seen. They were always really open and transparent about their books and about what they were going to do. They kind of didn't play the Wall Street games, hedging to investors what they were going to actually do. They came out and said it. Reed Hastings wrote about his work ethos in a book called No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. Kate O'Neill led a team at Netflix. You get to set your hours. You get to determine when you're going to take time off. That there was famously, you know, no set amount of paid time off. It was take what you need 
But from the standpoint of making it seem attractive to the employees and to the culture, it certainly does communicate a sort of, you know, you're on your own, you're a responsible adult, you should make your own decisions about whether you feel like you can afford to take time away and take some vacation. Each of us who managed teams and led groups were certainly encouraged to make up our own rules for that team that were in accordance with what we felt the culture was at the company. I very much credit Reed, but also um, Patty McCord, who was the chief talent officer, them working collaboratively together on cultivating that sort of culture, that sort of freedom. Gina Keating says Reed Hastings likes his staff to be competitive. I think that Reed really likes order. He likes transparency. He doesn't like big emotions. So when he took over they and also they needed a lot of engineers and he's an engineer so he hired a lot of people who were corporate engineer types and what i've been told is it's an extremely frank culture people are allowed to work as they like when they like as long as they get their work done and the standard of work is quite high reed talks about it as being a professional sports team where every year, every season, everyone has to try out again. And it's very competitive. So there's a type of individual who thrives under that kind of environment. Some people don't. And the turnover is very high. So they compensate people so that if they are not a good fit, they at least walk away with it having been worth their while. Netflix has become so much more than DVD home delivery or content streaming. Now Netflix is one of, if not the, leading entertainment production company, making its own original content and paying major directors, writer and performers huge sums up front. In 2023, Netflix won six Oscars. What is it in Reed Hastings himself that enabled this all to happen? Drew Lawrence is a journalist for The Guardian in Atlanta. He says Hastings saw a simple solution right from the start. He was very quick to draw a line from gym membership to video store membership, where he was, you know, according to lore, you know, he was six weeks late uh, returning a, a VHS rental of Apollo 13 and and struggling with how to explain the late charges to his wife and rushing to the gym. And then when he got there, it was just like, you know, why can't that business work like this business where you pay a flat rate, you use a gym uh, as little or as much as you want, and there's no sort of late fee associated with any of it. And so that became the germ that gave him the confidence to take the money that he had made through the sale of another company that he had started and really pour it into the idea of developing Netflix. You know a company is a big deal when it enters popular lexicon like the expression Netflix and chill. Gina Keating has interviewed Reed Hastings a lot over the years and says Mr. Netflix is super chill. He's very soft-spoken, very calm. I've never seen him uh, get upset. I've never heard about, you know, any fireworks or anything like that. He's very logical. I mean, almost to a fault. He was knowledgeable about his own company. He was knowledgeable about the entire entertainment vertical. He had a very good idea of what 
Netflix should be. And I remember him telling me when they first rolled out the streaming app in 2007, he said, someday you're going to have an iPad and it's just going to have icons on it and they're all going to be channels, like TV channels. And he said, you know, people are going to abandon cable because it's just not consumer friendly and it's a very expensive option for them. They're going to want to choose what's in that bundle and they're going to buy those channels separately, which is exactly what happened. He has, as far as I can remember, not ever been wrong about how this was all going to roll out. Reed has an almost, I mean, it's just a sublime ability to block out everything that is not important to whatever goal he has in mind. He does not think about what other people are saying about the company. He does not think about how his rivals are insulting him or talking about him or anything else. It's really the only way that they made it was because you know, there was a lot of static from Wall Street, a lot of static from the entertainment industry who really didn't want them to succeed. Competitors were throwing everything they could. They were going to government regulators and trying to get them stopped. He never lost focus. He never took seriously what anybody else was doing. He just stayed focused on his vision of what his market was doing, and he just did it. Reed Hastings' entrepreneurial gift also lies in his speed of thought, according to Christina Kish, one of the founding members of Netflix. He analyzes things so quickly, and it kind of comes from his programming background and mathematician background. And I think that that skill set that he has, whether it was to go get us money or hire the right engineers or build our databases better or whatever it was, his ability to distill down to the decision and then go and have very high standards for implementation, I think is his true skill set. Reed likes to take all the ways he would solve the problem and make us go do it. In his own brain, he can throw away things and concentrate on the ones that he believes in. Reed Hastings' tenure at Netflix has seen the company make a complete transition from tech company to a media company with a 2022 revenue of 31.6 billion US dollars and 230 million paying subscribers. But after 25 years at the helm, Reed stood down as CEO of Netflix in 2023. Journalist Gina Keating, the author of Netflix, The Epic Battle for America's Eyeballs. When they reached 10 million subscribers, they had a party. And I went up to interview him. And I asked him, you know, do you think you're going to continue to be interested in this? And he said, you know what, for now, it's great. I'm really invested. I'm really interested. And I'm going to just keep on going until it's not interesting to me anymore. And so... My feeling, although I haven't spoken to him about this, is that there really isn't a whole lot more for him to do. He innovated that company all the way to over 100 million subscribers. You know, they actually have quite a lot of very good content. I would not put it in the same category with HBO, but it's getting very, very good. So 
there isn't a whole bunch for him to do as a tech entrepreneur anymore. The company truly is a media company now, and it's the vanguard of what every media company has to be now. He revolutionized one of the most beloved consumer products that there is, and that's entertainment. You know, that's always held a very special place in humanity's hearts because all of our imagination, all of our hopes for ourselves are encapsulated in entertainment. And he found a way to let us kind of see each other's hopes and dreams across the whole globe. So, yeah, I think that he is going to be extremely well remembered. Angels have watched over the rise of Wilmot Reed Hastings Jr. He had a sumptuously expensive childhood, private school in Massachusetts, followed by a degree from Ivy League Stanford. And his good fortune didn't stop there. The decision by Blockbuster to pull out of the video rental market gave Netflix the biggest break in corporate history, according to Blockbuster's then-boss, John Antioco. Hitherto, it had been losing money hand over fist. And then there was Covid. No company in the world benefited more from the arrival of that plucky little Chinese virus in 2020 than Netflix. So much so that Netflix entered the English language as a verb. But by the same token, there's not the slightest doubt that Hastings has been incredibly nimble and far-sighted. And the slump which followed the end of the pandemic was swiftly reversed. Netflix was also one of the first big US companies to junk corporate wokery, understanding better than the rest that cliché, go woke, go broke. And somewhere among all that, Netflix commissioned the series The Last Kingdom, which for me, makes Reed Hastings worth every cent of his $3 billion fortune. I'm Rod Little and this is Global Disruptors, a perfectly normal production for Disrupt Radio Australia. Disrupt Radio. Tune in to opportunity. Disrupt Radio.